My name is Michael Frank, and welcome to Apply Yourself, the Pathrise podcast. Every week or so, we have guests give us insights on hiring and jobs in tech, and they include marketing pros, engineers, managers, designers, recruiters, product managers, and really anyone who we think can help you stay informed and inspired in your job search. Today, we're very lucky to have Mark Spera. He's head of marketing at Plush Care, a venture-backed tech startup. And he's founder of the Growth Marketing Pro blog, which is one of the leading resources about growth marketing on the internet. And uh, he's someone who I, a member of the Patherize team, have worked with a bit over my career. So this should be a lot of fun. Anyway, welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, Mike, and the Pathrise team. Excited to be here. Great. Uh, so just to start this off, uh, we like to kind of get a little bit more background about kind of the trajectory of the careers of the people we interview. It'd be great to hear a little bit about how your career has developed. Yeah, so I took maybe a less conventional path into marketing uh, in college. I studied finance at the University of Richmond, and then upon graduating, moved to San Francisco, where I worked in company strategy and then inventory management at Gap, Inc. So sort of a finance or at least analytical role. And then after about a year and a half there, uh, decided that I wanted to start my own business. I sort of got the entrepreneurial bug, was always into kind of eco-friendly everything. Uh, and of course, I was working at Gap Inc. So sort of made sense to start an eco-friendly consumer clothing retailer. So we're an e-commerce company. I started it with a buddy from college. Company went on to make a couple million in revenue, We had a really small exit about four years after starting the company. Like any entrepreneur, I found the experience awesome, something I'd never give away for anything. But obviously, you know, ton of work, feet to the fire, learned everything. So then when I was looking at my next role uh, after exiting my company, Be Good, I was approached by a Series A company called Realty Shares, which is a real estate crowdfunding marketplace. I was hired there as the first marketer, which was super interesting. I found real estate crowdfunding interesting. It kind of married my finance and marketing interests. And so anyway, I went on to work there for two and a half years. Then as I was thinking about transitioning to my next role, I was again approached by a Series A company called Plush Care, which is completely different in the healthcare vertical. So it's a company that allows users to connect with online doctors. And I ended up taking the head of marketing role. I've been there for uh, about a year and a half. Uh, And then somewhere along the way, I started my blog, Growth Marketing Pro, which, as the name implies, is a growth marketing blog. And we're lucky enough to have it be one of the biggest ones on the internet and a uh, pretty big producer of passive income for me as well. That's awesome. How big is your team at uh, Plush Care these days? Uh, so I've got a team of uh, three other individuals, so a, a team of four total. I have two acquisition managers and one analyst. Uh, I've got acquisition managers who are focused on sort of our performance marketing channels, including SEM, Facebook. We actually do a lot of local search like Yelp and Yellow Pages. And then I have an analyst who is uh, basically taking data from each of those channels, helping us optimize them, segmenting the audience, and then making more informed decision based on lifetime value of each segment about how we can better allocate our marketing spend. I remember uh, we talked at one point, you guys were doing a bunch of content marketing stuff. Do you still have that as part of your team? Or 
Yeah, so SEO or search engine optimization has definitely been a pretty big part of Plush Care. We have a really active blog. I actually sort of have taken on managing the SEO part of the business. One, um, you know, it's something I'm super interested in, believe can be a big part of the Plush Care acquisition strategy. And two, uh, it's something I have a lot of experience with through my own blog. So yeah, we still have a really active content strategy. We have a bunch of writers, a bunch of editors, and you know we're focusing on really targeted keywords in the healthcare vertical to, of course, acquire users and nurture them through the funnel. So let's talk about how you got into growth marketing. It sounds like you probably learned a bunch of kind of the foundational skills on your own when you were doing your uh, startup before Realty Shares. Is that right? And what were the kind of key skills you sort of learned on a foundational basis? I think as you and I both know, being an entrepreneur, you kind of learn from necessity. You know, when I started my company, I knew very little about growth marketing. I was actually, we were pretty lucky. I hired a marketer who was super adept at SEO. He came from the travel vertical, which is historically a super search and SEO heavy industry. So he kind of taught me everything I knew about search marketing, about SEO and, and, you know, like kind of digital marketing in general. You know, as an entrepreneur, we raised some money. So, you know, we of course had to kind of go big or go home. So it was grow at all costs. And I was sort of thrown in the deep end, really needed to understand growth marketing and, and it was a perfect experience to do that. It was sort of in the early days of some of the social networks like Pinterest or Facebook. So we had success with SEO through that growth marketer that I, that I mentioned. But you know, we were also taking advantage of some of those earlier channels like Pinterest, like Facebook, like Twitter. And you know, we were really experimenting. You know, part of growth marketing, as you well know, is just staying current. There's always going to be some arbitrage, particularly in the early days of platforms. So, you know, moving fast, learning on the internet, learning on the fly was super important. And, and you know, we took advantage of those channels early on. So I, I got a lot of exposure to kind of paid social advertising and SEO in the early days. That makes sense. You said you managed a few people at Plush Care, you managed a couple people at Realty Shares. How are you finding the people you're hiring? Where are you finding good people? Because I know it's hard. Yeah, no, it is really, really hard. I mean, it's definitely in any tech startup, as you know, people are in demand from engineers to PMs to designers to marketers. So it's seriously hard to find marketers. You know, if there was a platform I could go to and there was a trusted resource where I could find marketers, that'd be great. Today, it's really LinkedIn. I've had some real success on LinkedIn, you know, just by pinging candidates who seem uh, pretty adept. So, so this isn't posting jobs, this is you outbound messaging them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So outbound, um, I think I found at Realty Shares, I found our PR manager on LinkedIn, I found an acquisition manager on LinkedIn, and then a lifecycle marketer on LinkedIn. And then kind of more recently at Plush Care, I found my acquisition manager on LinkedIn as well. That's cool. Are there other platform do you do you use in your uh, like do you use like AngelList or any of the other um, platforms we use? Yeah, yeah, great point. Um, AngelList is definitely a spot that I look to. I have had a little less success on AngelList for reasons you know I don't entirely understand. Maybe I just haven't put in the effort there. Uh -huh. But I know others have had a lot of success on AngelList. What about just posting jobs on like Indeed, LinkedIn, etc.? Has that been a waste of time or? I find that some companies find it really successful and some companies, they just becomes like pools of resumes. Nobody looks at not sure how that works for you guys. 
I think I've fallen in the ladder. It's been pools of resumes with no quality control. You know, and maybe part of that is I'm not working at Slack or Facebook or something like that where you've got a ton of inbound interests. Like Series A startups, it's tough to find those candidates. I found outbound a lot more effective. Okay, so uh, let's say I want to get a job at Plush Care. What are going to be the uh, hoops uh, I'm going to have to jump through and what are the, the steps you're going to you take? Do a filter candidates. Well, Mike, I know, I know what a good marketer you are. So you've got a job at Plush Care if you want it. But let's let's say it's it's not Mike. Yeah. We actually have a really significant interview process, and I think that comes top down. Our CEO takes hiring really seriously. You know, it's a company that's nearing eight figure revenue, and we've only got like just north of thirty employees. So you know, he takes it really seriously. He wants to have the best people, and I, I can't blame him. So generally, I start with a phone screen just wanting to understand you know, what the candidate is looking for next in their career, tell them a little bit about what we're looking for, give them you know, a little background on plush care, make sure it's at least on paper a decent fit. And at a company your scale, that's still you, kind of the hiring manager doing the phone screen, not a recruiter? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm doing that. I think probably you know, once we have a head of HR or a head of recruiting, I think that would probably transition to them. But for now, yeah, okay. correct. That's with me. And then after we find that it's a pretty good fit, we'll then invite the person in. Candidate will meet with usually me, our head of product, and maybe one or two others on the marketing team. And again, this is kind of assessing analytical aptitude, a little bit of culture fit, etc. And then I've actually added something to my recruiting process. So after that, assuming the person does pretty well, I actually do an at-home Excel case study or an Excel test. PlushCare is such a consumer company. We have tons of data. So Excel and, you know, just analytical aptitude has become super important on my team. You know, not for every role. If I was hiring a PR manager, I probably wouldn't do this. But for any kind of performance marketing job or any analytics job, for sure, I actually like to send a a one-hour Excel case study home. I got this when a friend was applying to a job at Uber And he got this case study and I said, you know, that's like really a good way to kind of save time on my end rather than, you know, send somebody through an interview process only to realize later, you know, they can't do a pivot table. Right. Can you give some more details on like, what is that Excel test? Yeah. I mean, it's not so complicated if you're at least an average Excel person. You know, I don't consider myself a huge Excel expert. But it's possible to complete or at least nearly complete in an hour. Just a lot of patient data or customer data, and then a few other spreadsheets with key information that require the candidate to do a couple of V lookups, do a couple of pivot tables to kind of arrive at answers to a few questions. So it's, it's kind of like SAT questions, um, except, <laughs> right, it's, it's like the reading comprehension, except it's Excel comprehension. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, then I move on to a case study. So I like to do a case study that's you know pretty simple. I actually think maybe I got it from you back in the day, which is really just put together a 30, 60, 90 plan, 90 day plan based Based on a couple facts about our business. An example might be PlushCare wants to double customer acquisition in the next year. Give me your 30, 60, 90 day plan about how you're going to contribute to that. And I like that. So you'll do that for entry level hires as well? 
Yeah, I think I would because I want someone who is a self-starter. You know as well as I at a startup, there's just not that much time to coach people through the process. Like I want people who can really understand what to do, soup to nuts. They can come into role. And you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of training and oversight and general management, but I want them to be able to, you know, do their job if I take a week vacation and I can come back and know that things have been done and uh, everything's really ticked and tied. If the candidate succeeds in the case study, I invite them in to review the case Usually this is when we bring in, you know, the two founders and our, our two founders like to interview everyone that comes through the door before an offer is made. So we'll do a case study review, usually with the founders, our head of product, and maybe one or two other marketing folks. And then usually some one-on-one interviews again with the founders and kind of those same stakeholders. After that, we're ready to make a decision. So I, I think top to bottom, it's probably about a two-week process, schedules depending. Do you have like specific questions that you ask that kind of, I wouldn't say they're like 100% indicators, but it's like, okay, like, can they mess this up? They're, they're probably not going to be a fit or that at least provide a lot of insights on candidates. Right, right. Yeah, there, there's two things I kind of always do, which is one, I ask them a funnel-related question. So, you know, any marketer knows the standard marketing funnel, customer acquisition at the top all the way through, uh, how many times does a customer repeat? So I, I, I like to draw a funnel on a whiteboard and then ask the candidate to kind of infer a break-even cost of acquisition per lead. You know, it's not a complicated thing. And I think most people, if they took 20 minutes and were, you know, left in a room alone, they could probably get it pretty easily. It's a little tougher on the fly. And I, you know, I see it 50-50. Some candidates get it right away, some don't. And I usually like to coach them through it. And of course, I understand people are nervous in interviews. So it's not a, uh, it's not a binary thing. If you, if you fail that part, but you have some pretty good insight and you tell me how you're going to work through the problem in general, that'll get you through that round of the interview. The other thing I like to do is have the candidate rate themselves on a few things. So a few examples would be, again, Excel, maybe search marketing, depending on the role. I like to ask some of the softer questions, like how do you take feedback? How do you give feedback? And I like the candidates to rate themselves one through five. And I I just think the way that you rate yourself says a lot about you. Says a bit about your confidence, says a bit about your honesty, your aptitude, et cetera. So I, I think it reveals a lot, and it's something that I've started doing in the interview process. Um, and then, in terms of like resumes and profiles, I find that in terms of working with candidates, prestige still matters a lot. But uh, what are the kinds of things you end up kind of valuing when you look at uh, people's profiles? Because I'm sure you look at a lot of stuff when you're deciding who to interview. Yeah. You know, background is, of course, important. If I see somebody come in from, you know, who went to Harvard, I'm only human, I'm probably going to give them a quick look. But uh, I guess the normal stuff, like be orderly, you know, no typos, get that stuff right, the baseline stuff. And then I tend to like numbers. Like, again, because marketing has become a pretty data-driven industry, I like to see in your resume, how many rows of data did you work with at your last company? What are the ROI of campaigns that you've run in the past? And I think that stuff just shows me that your metrics and results driven and somebody that I'd be interested in digging deeper on. Now it's time for our uh, fire round. Get ready. Each of these is a quick one-off question that'd be great to get your insight in. So try to keep your answers to a minute or less, and we'll rifle through a bunch of these. 
Just to start, one of the things that we work with fellows on a lot is salary negotiation. What are your tips on salary negotiation tactics? Oh, I don't know that I'm so good at negotiating salaries, so I feel bad giving advice. But I guess, you know, maybe I would say take a first job that really suits you, a job that you're going to learn from. It's, it's pretty rare anyone gets rich off their first job. Optimize for your salary in your second, third, and fourth job. Get great exposure in the first job, and you know the money will follow later. That's probably that's my non-answer. Question part two for the non-answer. <laughs> what? Uh, so obviously negotiating when you're hired is one point. In terms of people at performance reviews, what do you think is the uh, appropriate best advice to candidates for how frequently they should try to renegotiate and get raises at a early stage company like yours that maybe doesn't have as much infrastructure in place as like a Google or Facebook? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like at PlushCare, we've only just recently started putting some guardrails in place to make sure people aren't renegotiating their salary every two months. I'd say in general, if you're coming into a place with few rules around that, if you're a high performer and you sense, you know, if your manager tells you you're doing a great job, I think after nine months, you can have the conversation. I think before that, maybe it's not quite enough time to really prove you're, you're worth your salt at the job. But I think after nine months, it's totally reasonable to bring it up. And then let's say uh, I'm an entry-level marketer in San Francisco looking at a Series A back startup. And keep in mind, for everyone listening to this, this we're in May 2019 because this stuff changes. What's kind of a benchmark salary that I should, what should I be looking at? Yeah, no, you're right. This stuff changes. <laughs> I think 70K plus, very much depending on the type of company. If the company raised $30 million Series A, you know, maybe it's a bit higher. If, if they're squeaking by on a $3, 4000000 million Series A, you know, it, it could be a little bit lower. But I think 70 is probably somewhere in the, the middle. And then in terms of the rest of the comp package, should I be expecting equity? Should I expect a signing bonus? Should I expect performance bonuses? How are you seeing marketers get comped for these kinds of roles? I think equity is a definite. The rest is definitely a case-by-case basis. I think if you're moving across the country to take a job, I think you might be lucky enough to get a little signing bonus or at least have a company cover some moving expenses. But if, if you're in San Francisco, you're definitely getting equity at the very least. Let's say I'm not in San Francisco or, yeah, let's say I'm in Iowa and I like Iowa, but there's not that many companies nearby. Is it a mistake, you think, to uh, take a remote job as a first or second job? I think startups have so many smart people at them, and I think you miss out on a lot of that sort of daily back and forth with super smart people if you're not in office. But if you're in Iowa and you absolutely love it and you need to work remote, you know, do it. But make sure that you're enriching yourself in other ways. Go talk to people, pick their brain, give people a call, hit them up on LinkedIn. Make sure that you're talking to enough people in your industry so that you can really learn because I think you might miss out on some of it by not being in office. Yeah, I get that question from people sometimes. And it's funny, my, my typical advice is a little different. I agree that like best case scenario, you're at the best company and you're in office. I generally tell people to over-index on the quality of the company. So, right, you would rather be at Airbnb in Iowa than be at the Iowa version of Airbnb. I find that if startups grow fast, everyone gets a lot of opportunities happy. And if they don't, it's just like a generally less interesting place. It's totally true. What are you finding the hardest roles to hire for these days? I think analytics 
roles. As I said, marketing is becoming more and more data-driven. So at a company like PlushCare, where the data gets pretty thick, you know, we use Heap Analytics for our event and funnel data. We have Google Analytics, of course. We use Datarama to track all of our internal data. So all of a sudden, you know, you could be talking about huge, huge 100,000 row data polls. And you know, getting people that are able to really navigate that stuff well, but aren't 10 years into their career, tends to be a little tough to find, I think particularly in the price range of salaries that we're talking about for a Series A company. Uh, so definitely the analytics stuff. So luckily for you, you may be talking to someone at a company that may soon be preparing people for these types of roles for marketing. <laughs> so if you were to say like, all right, what's your checklist for the specific things you'd want your early stage hires to have? What would that be from a kind of analytics standpoint? So you say, Michael, I want you to find me a bunch of real smart people with this background. Would it be you want them to be experienced with BI dashboards? You just want them really good Excel? Like, what are, what are the skills we should be reiterating to people that they need for these types of roles? I think for a consumer company like Plush Care, I think having Google Analytics experience and then SQL experience is a really nice to have. And then Excel, like I said, I, you know, a lot of the BI dashboards, so business intelligence dashboards and some of that stuff can be definitely learned on the fly at the job as long as the person is analytical and has some foundation. I think if you go to, you know, a B2B startup with a lot less data, I think if your company is only selling 10 widgets a month, but each widget is worth $30,000, I think there's going to be a lot less data there. And then some of the softer skills like writing, email marketing, content become a little more important. But at a consumer startup, yeah, I like to see Excel. I like to see Google Analytics. And SQL is, again, a nice to have. If I'm trying to differentiate myself as a uh, early stage you know, marketing candidate and I have those skills and I can learn one or two pieces of software that you think make me uh, really desirable for a company, what do you think they are? And I, I can help you a little bit with this. I can say for one of the roles that we recently hired for, if the person had been like an absolute pro at marketing automation software, mm. if they'd been like, <laughs> I've done this Marketo stuff or even MailChimp or whatever, Intercom or something along those lines, that would have been particularly helpful, though I'm not sure I'd recommend that to everyone. Or do you think there's a uh, piece of software or two that would be particularly helpful for people to learn? Yeah, I think for most marketing teams, Google Analytics is at least the first place that marketing data is. I, I like your idea about marketing automation. I think most companies at this point have at least email marketing, if not SMS and push notifications, You know, if you're an app-based company. I like those too. When I'm thinking about prepping for an interview with Plush Care, how important is it for the people to have uh, like really strong insights into your business in terms of just like really understanding it and sort of having thought through sort of a thorough understanding of where kind of you are in the market? Is that something that really differentiates candidates to you? Or is it mostly kind of about kind of skills and experience? Yeah, I think you have to do your homework. If you come in and can't tell me what Plush Care does and maybe a competitor or two, and you know what the revenue model is, how we make money. I don't think I'd be very impressed. But you know, if you can tell me a little bit about the company and even draw a few insights on how you might grow the business, or at least ask some really good questions about how we're growing the business that show insight, I think that would be great. 
So let's say I'm uh, thinking about, should I take like an early stage marketing job at a plush care, at a realty shares, at even a Pathrise, like a sort of an earlier stage company, or potentially making a little bit more money and having a lot more bosses at a company like Google or Facebook? <laughs> What do you uh, sort of think the trade-offs are between those two options? Yeah, that's a really good question. I always default to work in an earlier stage company, but part of that could just be what I love to do. But I, I tend to think you know earlier stage companies are smaller. They are closer to almost a small business. You're going to get exposure to the CEO. You're going to get exposure to the VPs. And I think, you know, you're going to really learn the, the sort of guts of a company that make it work. And I think once you're at a bigger company like an Airbnb, a Facebook, a Google, you lose that perspective. You're sort of in the forest and you can't really get your bearings around you. So I default to smaller company, but you know I think you have to do what makes you happy. If you don't like the sort of uncertainty of working at a startup, I think do what makes you happy and what you think you'll be good at because better to perform really well at an Airbnb or a Facebook than sort of flounder and fail at a smaller company like PlushCare. So one of the areas I see people uh, most clueless basically at all stages of their career and the negotiation is when it comes to stock options. Do you have any tips for sort of both what kind of the ranges of stock to expect are and any uh, tips on thinking through those for uh, candidates? Yeah, I think the first thing to know is that I like to believe stock options are more negotiable than salary. If a CEO or a head of marketing thinks that you are a rock star candidate and I'd be stupid not to hire you, I think you've got some leverage definitely. Um, you might not have as much leverage on the salary bit just because, you know, as a Series A company, there's not a ton of money in the bank uh, as compared with like, Facebook or Google. But I think if you are a standout candidate, I think you have some wiggle room. I guess as far as numbers, uh, you know, I think your target should be like 10 basis points. So 0.1% equity in a company. And is, is that vesting over four years or the one-year cliff? Yeah, yeah, that's that's generally pretty standard. For everyone who's uh, listening to this, that means 0.025% in this scenario would vest every year, starting with getting like the first quarter as a lump sum after 12 months, right? And this, this stuff is a little hard to wrap your head around sometimes in the beginning. I know it took me a little while to fully understand this when I jumped into startups and started carving off equity of my own company. But yeah, I'd say that's generally pretty standard. I don't know if you guys do this, but I've been seeing this a lot lately that startups do the equity heavy or the comp heavy offer where it's like, okay, you can, you know, have an extra, you know, whatever, 10 basis points or five basis points or 20 basis points right. by taking a little more or a little less salary. Do you do that? And have you seen companies doing that these days? I've definitely seen companies doing it. I haven't really been doing it. I like to suss out in the process what is the candidate comfortable with? I, I like to ask in the beginning of the process, what sort of salary are you looking for? Because it sucks to get all the way through a process with a candidate who you love. And then they're like, well, I want to make $200,000 a year. Right. So I try and feel that out a little earlier on in the process. But I've, I, like you're saying, I've definitely seen people doing that more and more. <laughs> I always tell people to just take the most equity heavy offer they can. Because if the company does well, I feel like it's incredibly doable to get the salary back up to whatever that was offered before. That's totally true. Whereas if the company 10Xs, there's no way you're going to get that value and equity again. That's totally true. 
that's totally true. It's a great point. And finally, it sounds like you actually ask for a fairly intense number of projects. I mean, two is probably two times as many as most companies. That I've seen <laughs> How important is formatting um, when you get those back from candidates? On the hour case study, the Excel case, you know, I understand. If you have an hour to do something, get it done, get the answers right. And if you, you know, if your formatting sucks, I'm not going to write you off as a candidate. Definitely, when it comes to the case presentation you'll be giving in person, I think that's a reflection of how much thought, time, and care you put into your work. So I definitely want to see that formatted nicely. And, you know, it doesn't mean you need to have pretty graphics or anything like that. You know, find a resource on the internet that has a really nicely formatted PowerPoint and just use that. It doesn't need to be fancy, but you can hurt yourself in the interview process if you don't come up with something that at least looks presentable. Mark, thank you so much for letting us uh, tap your brain and for all the transparency into marketing and hiring at uh, early stage companies. Thank you everyone for listening. If you want to learn more about Mark, check him out at uh, growthmarketingpro.com. If you want to learn more about the fellowship program at PathRise, pathrise.com. We have accelerators going for engineering, product design, marketing, data science. And honestly, we want to give smart young people opportunities. So please check us out. It's awesome. Until next time. Thanks again, Mark. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. 